Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I am finally back in the swing of things. I took the longest break from this podcast since I started it. It's been almost three weeks since my last episode went live with the incredible Cat Bradley, the winner of the Western States 100 Mile Run which I actually um, hit on today with Nick. <laughs> she comes up in this episode. Uh, today, you are going to hear from an incredible person, just all around awesome person named Nick Simmons. Many of you ha- already know who he is if you follow running and especially track and field. Others may not know until you hear him speak and then you're going to say, I know that guy. I've heard that guy. That guy's been around. Um But before we get into today's episode, I want to hit on some cool things that have been going on since I last left you hanging. First of all, right after I interviewed Kat Bradley, two days later, I went and did that thing I said I was going to do. If if you recall, on February 17th of this year, when I turned 45, I decided that I would set a real goal, an athletic goal again, that involved committing and training for something meaningful. So I chose a race, an Olympic distance triathlon that was meaningful to me for a number of reasons, partly because I used to dominate it when I was racing pro. I won that thing four years in a row from 2001 to 2004. And I would say my opinion is that my result in 2004 was possibly the best race I had my entire professional career. I beat the a woman named Susan Williams who went on to win bronze in the Olympics just a month or so afterward. So I always laugh and say, well, you know what? I could have gotten silver. <laughs> but it didn't matter because a few weeks after the Boulder Peak in 2004, I went on to win the Wisconsin Ironman wearing a skirt and started skirt sports, and the rest is history, as you know. So here's the deal. I trained for this race. I wrote some training plans. I invited an entire virtual community to join me in choosing a goal and training for something, and so many did. And if you don't know about it, get over to Facebook and and search the Real Women Move Challenge group. Get on there. It's an awesome group. People are setting goals and doing cool things every day. So I trained for this. I did more swimming, cycling, and some running, more than I've done in quite some time. There was a day when I did 5,000 yards in the pool and I couldn't even lift my arms and I just had to laugh because I used to do 5,000 yards multiple times a week. But you know, that was why I did this, to get back to my roots and to push myself and to remember how it felt. So it was tough. It was hard. I was battling injury for most of the training 
um, with my lower Achilles and, and bursitis issue I've had for a long time, but I got through it. And I got there on race morning, and I remember standing in the transition and thinking, wow, I racked my bike, and now I have to wait for 45 minutes. I'm in the second-to-last wave with the other old ladies. Um, and so I did it. I did it just like everybody else. I was an age grouper. I went out there. I swam hard. I rode hard, and I ran as best I could. The coolest thing for me was when I got to the finish line, Tim was standing there with Wilder on his shoulders, and I ran up to them. I grabbed her, and she just took off across the line. She didn't even wait to hold my hand. Uh, there was a lot of pride that day on all ends. And it's really fitting today to even open this with a small discussion about goals because, as you will find out, Nick Simmons is a big goal guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's just a guy right after my own heart there. So... Right after I set that goal, my family took a trip to Alaska. I am not kidding. Tim was involved with the race organization for the Alaska Man Extreme Triathlon, which was an Ironman distance event um, up and around Seward and Girdwood. And it was absolutely incredible. Wilder and I really bonded and just had a blast out there seeing this incredible frontier if you have not been to Alaska, I recommend you go. I will go again. Tim and I will go again with Wilder, but not until she's ready to do cool things and hike big stuff and really get into the mountains. So anyone with little five-year-olds, don't do it yet. Wait till they're eight or nine or 10, and then we can really do that cool stuff with them. But here's the other thing, and the other reason it's been a while since I've been back Um Tim violated a cardinal rule, and he's my editor, so he's going to love hearing this. Um, so I, there's a few cardinal rules, right? So if you're out on a bike ride and there's no wind, you never say out loud, wow, it's not windy at all today, because when you do, within 30 seconds, massive gusts of wind come, and then you have headwinds the entire rest of your bike ride. There's another cardinal rule about kids and sleep. As soon as your kid finally has a good night's sleep, you never say, wow, I think she's turned the corner and now we're going to sleep well. Bam, you're going to have another month of three times a night wake up. So just don't say it. You can think it, just don't say it. But the rule that Tim broke was the one about never being sick. He actually said out loud, you know, it's been a really long time since I've been sick. See, I get sick. I've been getting sick on and off for years, especially since Wilder was born. I get everything she has. But Tim, you know, he's he's got a pretty good constitution, but he said it out loud. And guess what? He got hit hard. So Tim's been down and out and uh, trying to recover. So here we go. He is coming back and uh, I'm back and we're all back. And you guys, now you are going to hear from an amazing our amazing guest today. Um, Nick Simmons is a two-time Olympian in the 800 meters. He is a staunch advocate for athletes' rights. He's an entrepreneur having founded a really cool company called Run Gum. You're going to hear about it. He's an author. He wrote a great book, um, Lessons from the Oval Office. He is a public speaker. And he is just a cool guy. After this interview, he said, you know, that was one of my favorite interviews ever because I actually got to talk about the things I think about when I'm out there running. So 
Here's the cool thing. He just announced his retirement, his official retirement from track and field racing. And when he announced it, he also announced his next plans. You're going to learn that that's how he rolls. So let's get him on and he can tell you all about him. Okay, so Nick, thanks for carving out a little sliver of your busy life to chat with me about your plans, your past, present, and future. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Um, I'm also excited that you said nothing's off the table, so I'm going to see how how (laughs) deep and gritty we can go today. Yeah, of course. You know, I I always say uh, nothing's off limits. I I never liked when athletes said no comment. Kind of our job to have comments when someone asks us questions, so... Whatever you got, uh, you know, you can try to throw me off my game, but I think I'm prepared. <laughs> well, what's kind of cool is, too, I'm going to let everyone know right now that a lot of people will ask for questions ahead of time because they want to prepare. You did not do that. So I'm just letting them know you are going yeah. off the cuff. This is a real, authentic Nick Simmons. It is. And uh, if I say something, um, you know, you don't no need to edit it. I, you know, I, I, I'm very uh, introspective person. I when you're a distance runner, you have a lot of time to spend in your head. And I think about these questions, um, whatever you might be able to throw at me. So I, I usually have an answer, but I, I do like being um, I like being thrown curveballs. So all right, I'm going to start then with uh, oh, with a uh, curveball. <laughs> yeah, this actually this won't be a big curveball. This will just okay. be a little opener. Um, you share a birthday with someone really close to me, my daughter. Oh, really? December thirtieth? Yeah. It's a great birthday. So are you ready for this? You're going to like this. Bring it on. December 30th is the athlete's birthday. LeBron James, December 30th. Dathan Ritzenhain, December 30th. Tiger Woods, December 30th. Nick Simmons, the Jefferson Twins, your daughter, are all December 30th babies. All right. Then we've got got some big shoes to fill. Um, So here's my big thing, though. So it's falling right in between all of these really, you know, important holidays, right? And so does her does your birthday get overlooked during that time? What's the what's the advice you'd give me on the holiday birthday thing? Well, I asked for a lot of presents when I was young and my parents spoiled me rotten. So if I didn't get it for Christmas, I knew I was going to get it for my birthday pretty typically. Um that's when I was a kid and now we don't really do presents very much, so it's not an issue, but when I got older and was of legal drinking age, the hardest challenge was celebrating my birthday and then doubling back for New Year's. And there were a lot of years, not a lot, there were a few years there in my early 20s when I missed midnight at New Year's because I was too hungover from the night before. And I don't, <laughs> I, I certainly don't advise that anyone go binge drinking, but you know, when you're a young kid, you make some mistakes. And I, I missed a few New Year Eve parties because of it. Well, you're an endurance athlete. You know, you try to go, you try to back to back it as much as you can here, and you live but hard. But I cannot. Yeah, I I work hard, I play hard, but I've never been the kind of guy that can party back to back nights. You know, you're a pretty extreme guy. Like everybody knows that who knows you. You go all in. It's like boom, all in right off the bat. Um, so you're an extreme guy when you're an athlete. Now you're supposedly a retired athlete. So you just announced a retirement from track and field racing. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, first of all, are you going to be one of those guys that comes out of retirement and goes back to track and field racing? Never, ever in a million years. I love track, and I, I absolutely cherish the 20 years of competitive running that I did on the track, but that chapter of my life is over. So I'm sorry, you guys, that hope that I'll come out of retirement for track and field again, but it won't happen. 
But, you know, is it still considered a retirement when you're going to run a marathon in December? So I've been really carefully scripting this narrative from January, basically when I said that 2017 would be my last season. Um, I I have retired from professional track and field, but I have not retired from professional running, not not by any stretch of the imagination. I as as the second I ran my last track race at USA's this year, in that mix zone, not two minutes later, I said I've set another goal and I'm running the Honolulu Marathon. And the second I cross the Honolulu Marathon finish line, you better believe I'll have another goal in my mind. Uh, life is a series of adventures, and I just can't imagine a day in my life where I wake up and don't have something to train for. In fact, I've experienced that moment a couple times in my life, and I went into pretty deep depressions. I am a goal-driven person, and if I don't wake up and know that I'm training for something, then I don't feel a sense of purpose in my life. Um, and that's just the way I am. So I'll, I, I guarantee you I'll have a goal after Honolulu as well. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because I think a lot of people listening can really relate. And a lot of our listeners are people who are hoping to run a 5K, you know, once a year, um, sure. you know, trying to fit exercise into really busy, busy lives. And so goals are really important. Some may say that goals are limiters. I want to understand how you became a goal-driven person and what, you know, setting goals really yeah. looks like for you. Yeah, I wouldn't say that goals are limiters unless you're setting the wrong goals, right? So if you are if you are setting the bar too low or not setting enough goals, then of course those are going to limit you. Um, the way that I have always approached goal setting is a short, medium, and long-term approach. And by that I mean I I pick a really lofty, you know, lofty goal that uh, scares me. If it doesn't scare you, it's probably not lofty enough. Running a marathon scares me. I, I'm nervous I'm going to get injured in the training for it. I'm nervous that I'm going to get injured when I actually run it. Um, I'm nervous that I'm going to put this out publicly that I want to run sub three hours and then fail miserably um, or not even finish at all. Like That's a big, hairy, scary goal for me. Um, but I need medium and short-term goals to get me there. So a medium-term goal would be the half marathon that I want to run in October. That's a really good medium goal that works towards my long goal. And a short-term goal is something as simple as just trying to improve on my five-mile tempo that I need to do here in a couple weeks. You know, yesterday I did a five-mile tempo um, and vlogged about it and said, hey, in four weeks I'm going to do this again, but I want to run, you know, several minutes faster. That's a good short-term goal that works towards my medium-term goal, which and both ultimately work towards my long-term long goal. Um, that's how I've always really set goals is, is in that kind of style. Well, it's really pragmatic. I mean, you are literally taking micro step to the bigger step and the bigger step to the large step. Yeah, and if you really want to break it down, the micro, micro steps are, okay, tomorrow I need to do a four-mile run, right? And if you want to break it down even further than that, tomorrow I need to just get out of bed and get out the door, you know? So running a marathon is this big, huge goal. And if you think about all the work that has to go into doing that, it is absolutely demoralizing. You're going to think there's just too much work. I can't do it. But if all you do is break it down into small bite-sized chunks, you say, well, I don't know if I can run a marathon, but I sure as heck can get out the door and go for four miles tomorrow. That's a bite-sized chunk that helps you towards that big, scary goal. So let's uh, explain this a little more because a lot of people are probably like, well, he was a freaking Olympic runner, <laughs> like big yeah. deal. So he's still running. Like what's the big difference between running an 800 or a mile and and running a marathon when you're at that level can't isn't that Great pretty question. pretty natural yeah you know it's not because the training's so vastly different um you know i i'm 170 pounds right now i'm i'm in the i was in the gym two or three times a week 
I was doing sprint workouts. The longest run that I've ever done in my entire life is only 13 miles. So in just five months, I'm trying to shed 15 pounds, rewire my entire engine, double the amount of distance that I've ever done in my entire life, and I'll do that without getting injured. Oh, and add to that the fact that now I'm a CEO of an energy company and I have to work a nine to five. I mean, this is just so night and day different than anything that I've ever done. Uh, it is it's daunting. And you know, one of the things that we wanted to do was share this journey with my running fans and with my business fans um, because I think that there's a lot that I'm that I've learned over 20 years and a lot that I'm learning during these next five months. So we're vlogging every single workout that I do um, in preparation for Honolulu on YouTube, and it's been a real. It's been a real eye opener for me um, as I go through this journey and share the things that I'm learning. Um, you know, it's not easy. It, it's really the hardest part of all for me is just working a nine to five and trying to get my training around it. I've always been inspired by people that were working full time and still found a way to get their miles in. And now I really realize just how hard that is. Well, so are you racing in the pro field or as an age grouper? The nice thing about Honolulu is it's the same thing, right? Mm. Because because Honolulu doesn't draw a ton of pros for whatever reason, um, the pros run with the with they, they go up front obviously, but they run with everybody else. And so, um, I'm a pro. Um, I'm going to go out there and race as hard as I can. I I don't know what that equates to. My I've set a the over under at three hours, but I think that as my training evolves, if if I can get to that start line healthy, I think there's a good chance I can go well under three hours. Um, but I'll be out there with everybody else, and I'm excited for that. I've been to the start line of several marathons and that energy you feel uh, in the morning as, as 30, 40,000 people all try to accomplish the same goal. It's pretty special. It's something I've never experienced before in a race setting. Well, I, you know, the cool thing is that you're so transparent. You're blogging your workouts. Some of them will probably yeah. suck. You they know, you may melt down. I know for a fact they will, yeah. Yeah, you may, you may get some injuries. Like, you're going to have to navigate all of that just like the rest of the real people. And I think... That's something that's going to go really far towards helping you, not just in your future sports, but in your business. Yeah, certainly. And I think that, uh, you know, track and field, you're competing against other people for a lot of money and a lot of prestige sometimes. So people are a little more secretive. I've never been that way, but I understand why people are. I'm experiencing this community that is marathoning right now for the first time. And there's not this secrecy or sense of like, I got to beat this person it's so much more a sense of let's help each other out, right? The marathoning community is so positive because we're not fighting each other. We're all fighting ourselves or we're competing against ourselves or against the course. And so it's like, I want to finish, but I also want you to finish. I want to accomplish my goals, but I also want to help you accomplish your goals. And this vlog has been great for both parties because I'm able to give back some of this knowledge that I have to people who are trying to be better runners but in exchange, they're giving me support that I need to get through this training. You know, I think um, one of the things that's hitting me too here is that you set your next, you retired, and then you were like, okay, but announced a goal. And the goal was a marathon, but it could have been anything. And I know you Absolutely. have other cool things that you're doing as well and that you'll continue to do. But there are a lot of people listening who are like, well, I don't like should I do a mile and then aim for a marathon why the marathon what is it about the marathon that called you to do that next I think that because I'm such a goal-driven person I've had this running bucket list of things that I want to do since I was a kid and breaking four in the mile was one making an Olympic team was one winning a world medal was one 
and I've crossed off each one of those items. Um, want the only item on my running bucket list that I've truly never tackled is run a marathon, and it never made sense when I was really at my peak training to be the best in the world at the 800 meters. The training was just too far, too too vastly different. But then as soon as I retired, I'm sitting here saying, well there's only one item that I haven't done. This is the time to do it. Not, not 20 years from now. It's right now while I'm in my athletic prime and I've got this great engine and I've got all this leg strength that I've built up over 20 years. Now is the time to tackle this goal. And almost in a way, put a bow on my running career for 20 years. I started when I was 13 running cross country, 20 years, every day I've woken up and set new running goals. And I love doing that, but I, I would really like to set some non running goals in mm-hmm. my, for my athletic self and I don't feel I can do that until I've ticked this box. And January 1, when uh, when all said and done, I put a bow on it, I'll announce some other athletic goals of mine. But right now, I'm just so single-minded focused on, on running this marathon. And you know what? You're going to have a lot of support because so many pros wouldn't put themselves back out there because they're afraid of the pressure that they think other people are putting on them or whatever. And you're approaching this in a way that's just like you're excited. You're not nervous. You're not feeling like you have to go win it. You're excited. You just want to be out there with everyone. There's so I, I'm just I appreciate your outlook. Thank you. I think that I have failed so many times, and you, when you failed enough, you understand that it's not the end of the world. I don't mind doing things that other pros might not yet, because I failed so many times, and it just almost you, well, you certainly learn more about yourself from failure, and you certainly learn that it's okay to lean on other people when you're failing. And so, building up this this community, you know, I've got in just thirty days, we've got three thousand subscribers on the view, the vlog, and they're all supportive when I have a bad day. You know, it's okay to ask for some support. Mm-hmm. And just the other day, I had a really low energy day and I was really not wanting to run. And I actually made a little vlog about finding motivation. And I think there were a hundred comments of people saying, thanks for motivating me. You know, here's a little motivation for you. I believe that you can do this. And you're, what you're putting out there motivates me. And, and it's, a, it's a real treat to follow you. Like those kind of things motivate me in return. And the next day I bounced back and I felt great and I had a great workout. And that's just, that is training. And you know this as well as anybody. You're going to have those ups and downs. That's just a natural roller coaster of training. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about both fear and depression because you've already yeah. hit on both and they're really important topics. Um, a lot of people don't start things because of this fear of failure. You, you know, you've had, you've learned a lot through athletics and, and you've got this incredible business called Run Gum, and you know you're an entrepreneur too, and that takes a lot of guts. And most people, when they have an idea, do not move forward partly because of a fear of failure. But but if you do move forward and you do fail, you mentioned earlier this, you know, not having that purpose in your life, not knowing what you're going to do in the morning when you wake up can sink you into bouts of despair and depression. And that's a very real, you know, mental illness that a lot of people suffer from. So I'm not, and and I think they're related. I mean, I think there's, they can be separate too, but maybe give me, give me some takes on share some failures and share too, when you do hit those moments of depression any thoughts or tips or tricks you have for people to help move themselves out of that cycle? Yeah. I mean, the number of failures that I could rattle off would take a, the entire hour we have. But, you know, one that comes to mind is never winning an Olympic medal. Um, and it still sticks with me a little bit. 
Um, in 2008, I made my first Olympic team, and I only made the semis. I was only 24, so I said to myself, I learned a lot here. I failed, but I'll take the, those lessons and apply it over the next four years and come back more ready, more stronger, and be ready to win a medal. And I made the Olympic final in 2012, and I ran almost a full second personal best in that race, 142.95. At the time, was the third fastest time that an American had ever run. And that time would have won an Olympic medal at every single games except for that one. And I finished fifth. You know, and that, I mean, that hurt. That was a failure in, in some aspects. I didn't medal. You know, and it took me a lot of time of working with a sports psychologist to rephrase that as a suit, as one of the, maybe the biggest win of my career. Not a failure, but a success that on the largest stage, I was able to rise to the occasion and bring the greatest race that I've ever run. That's a, that's not a failure at all that's a huge success so a lot of these times what we're calling failures really just need to be put into perspective you know another great example is 2014 i was ranked number two in the world coming off winning the uh, world silver medal in 13 and i really wanted to go and, and prove that i could be ranked number one in the world i really wanted to go and capitalize on, on all the earning potential that i just created for myself but instead i broke my knee and didn't get to run a, a single outdoor race. And the by far the most depressed that I've ever been in my life was during that spring as I realized all my hard work was about to kind of just be for naught in the sense that I wasn't going to get to capitalize on any of those things. And I was going to have to just sit on my couch and watch my friends do the things I wanted to be doing. And I had some – the only time in my life I think that I've really had suicidal thoughts. And it, it I feel weak and kind of disappointed in myself just admitting that right now um, because I sh- shouldn't have had those feelings but that's I'm being honest that's how I felt and it wasn't until I talked to my, my mentor and business partner Sam LaPrey and said I am having these scary thoughts he said what you've lost is your sense of purpose it's not so much the money or the fame or the travel or any of the things that you love what you've really lost is your sense of purpose and we need to find that for you again and that is actually why we created Run Gum back in the summer of 2014 is I had this idea, I had been putting it on the back burner because I had no time and energy, and the minute I pitched the idea to Sam, and the minute we created Run Gum, it was a, it was a light switch. I went from being depressed and unable to eat and unable to sleep and with these suicidal thoughts to setting my alarm for 5 a.m. because I knew how much work had to get done, and I woke up with a sense of purpose like I had never had before. And I think, again, as, as sad as that time in my life was, to this day, it is the most important lesson that I've ever ever learned. That, and it's 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 a lesson I learned about myself that I am a poor collie that needs a sense of purpose, or I do not function correctly. I have I have a couple questions. First, I so appreciate you putting that out there. I really think uh, being open about how deep and dark it got for you will help a lot of people realize they're not alone. Um, it's a really lonely place because you're in your head going, I don't yeah. see a way out. I want to ask you, how did you break your knee? I overtrained. Um, uh, I had just switched sponsors, and I was on the road 24-7, away from medical support, away from my coach, and I just overtrained. I had what's called an avulsion fracture, where my VMO was actually pulling off of the kneecap. And it was when we finally figured out what was going on, the doctor's like, you need to take three to six months of not a single step of running. You know, and you get that diagnosis, and you just think, I don't know how I'm going to get through this time. I tried swimming, but that aggravated my knee. I tried biking, but that aggravated my knee. I couldn't lift. 
I literally remember this one day where I was lying in bed and my sister called and it's 11 a.m. And she's like, what are you doing today? And I'm like, nothing. She's like, well, is it raining? You know, this is Oregon, so it's always raining. I said, no, it's actually 80 and sunny out. She goes, well, get out and enjoy it. I'm like, what's the point? You know, I'm just lying in bed staring at the ceiling. And she's like, you've got to get your ass out of bed and go do something. And that was tough talk that I needed to hear. I went out and went fishing, which is what I usually do when I'm depressed. And, um, you know, it was then just on the water every day that I'm like, I do need to do need to be open with my friends and family and lean on them a little bit in this tough time for me. And it wasn't like I didn't I was embarrassed to admit that I was feeling that way because here I am, you know, living in a first world country. My family's healthy. I'm relatively healthy, you know, in this big scheme of things. Um, I have food on my table. I have, you know, a way to pay my rent. And I'm sitting here having suicidal thoughts. I felt so embarrassed by that. But by putting that out there and letting my friends, my sister, my mom and dad, Sam, know those those things, I was able to find someone that was able to understand me better than I understood myself at the time, Coach Sam, who's been with me as my mentor for 15 years. And he said, listen, I know what you're missing. I, I, I know what makes you tick. And that's a sense of purpose that you don't have right now. He's like, it's time for us to do something about that. So there's an, there's an example where you know, I leaned on the people that are close to me, my support network, and they, they came to my rescue. And and uh, we created, you know, I, I don't like the, the term make lemonade out of. When life hands you lemons, make lemonade. I don't like that, that cliche phrase, but that's exactly what we did. Would you consider yourself generally a person who thrives in positivity or are you more of a pessimist? I'm a pragmatist. I, I analyze <laughs> both situations and I say, there in, and I really believe this in every single situation in the world, there's beauty in it and there's a big pile of crap in it. And it's uh, it's our daily challenge to look at the beauty. Now we don't have to ignore and pretend like the crap doesn't exist. It's okay to try to change that stuff. But every every single situation in the entire world has some beauty to it and some ugliness to it. I really believe that. Oh, this is so fun. We're going to be on for a while. <laughs> How much time do you have day. today? <laughs> I, got, I got all day. I love this. is one of my favorite interviews. This is stuff that I like to talk about. It's one thing to talk about what my favorite workout is, and I can tell you that, but it's quite another thing to really self-reflect and realize what makes you tick as a human being. The, the hardest thing to understand is yourself, and I feel like now at the age of 33, I understand myself better than I ever did in my 20s, and it gives me kind of this feeling of invincibility. I know that sounds crazy, but I know what makes me happy. I know what makes me unhappy. I know what what I need to be happy, and those things are very easy to get, you know. So it's it's this feeling of just contentedness and of being of being content, and and being content is synonymous with being happy. I think. Well, and some people may say though that being content can stagnate you. It could. It could certainly. Being content to me means. I'm content in the moment, but what makes me content today probably isn't, I, I'm smart enough or, or reflective enough to know that it might not make me content when I'm 45. You know, like I'm going to want to have a family of my own at that point and I need to do things today to make sure that future Nick has what he needs to be content, but it doesn't, doesn't negate the fact that I'm content in the moment right now. Well, and let me tell you too, I do believe, you know, I started my business in my early thirties and felt this strength and power and ownership of myself right yes, and control definitely. of my destiny and it only gets better in your 40s because now suddenly you're wiser 
Because <laughs> yeah. some, some shit's going to happen in your 30s. So when you're in your 40s, you're going to be like, well, now I went through all that, so I'm even wiser. It's maybe well, uh, that's the thing. Uh, go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, no. You bring it. Well, you just make me think back to that time when I was 30 and I was so depressed about my career and everything. And on the one hand, I wish I'd never had to go through that. It was truly the worst two or three months of my life. But I emerged from it so much stronger. And I imagine that's what you're saying about getting into your 40s is you've just been through so much shit that little things don't phase you. Think about the things that used to phase you in your early 20s. Like, you know, just a little thing like my run not going right would send me into depression for multiple days. Like, that's just so silly now to think about. Yeah. It, and, you know, it's perspective. And I get where you're coming back all the way back to depression and suicidal thoughts is, yeah, I mean, from all practical purposes, you live a great life, but it doesn't mean that doesn't necessarily make you feel better about True. what you're going through in the moment. Yeah. You know, anyone and, can tell you that or say, but look at this person, they're really held back because of this disability or whatever. And you're like, well, yeah, and I feel for them and I, I wish the best, but it's not helping me feel better about me. You know, I spoke a lot with my sports psychologist during this time in my life, and I said, Jeff, you know, I'm a pretty, like, pretty in, in touch person with the rest of the world. Like, I, I know people are starving. I know there are billions and billions of people that have it worse off than me, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm sad. And he goes, you know, Nick, just because your neighbor's house is on fire doesn't mean you shouldn't worry about the flames in your yard. And when he said that to me, it just, like, gave me this huge sense of relief that it's okay to be sad. And then that gave me a sense that it's okay to tell people about my sadness, which is what ultimately led to to me being healed, yeah. healing my mind. Yep, absolutely. And you'll go through more ups and downs like that, but now you have tools. Exactly. Awesome. So you mentioned uh, having a family someday. I uh, <laughs> I read some snippets from your book. I didn't get it in time to read the whole book before the interview. I'm so bummed. I'm going to get it Oh, now. no worries. Yeah. Um, there was definitely some discussion about girls. One of the funny things that, that I really think is cool, <laughs> I think it's cool, is you know when you were a kid, you were trying all these other sports because that's what you thought you wanted to do. You weren't as good at them, right? Soccer and I think another Ice sport. Ice hockey, yeah. Yeah, kind of benching a little bit here and there. And then some of the girls were talking about going out for cross country, right? Yeah, and that's how I started running. I was 13 in eighth grade and I was hanging out at the country club pool with a couple girls in my class that I had to crush on. And they said, oh, we just signed up for cross country. And I'm in my back of my head. I'm thinking that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because, you know, who wants to go run for fun? And I'm keeping that to myself. And they say, Nick, you should come out for it. I said, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd love to come out and run cross country. <laughs> and I, I just did it to spend time with them because I'm going through, you know, early puberty and, and girls are intriguing to me and I want to learn more about them and, and of course, co-ed practices. Who doesn't like those? Absolutely. It, I I didn't. I love the team. I love the co-ed practices. I love the coach. I love being outside. I hated running. Absolutely hated it. So it was a real. It was a real struggle for me early on, um, and I resented my success early on, thinking to myself, "Why couldn't I be this good on the ice? Why couldn't I be this good at soccer?" And then eventually, I came to terms with it and realized I was going to run in college. And then eventually I learned to love it and have been doing it for 20 years. And I can't imagine a life without running now. Oh, my gosh. There are so many little nuggets in here. First of all, I love the story of your first race. You just may have to share it because I think there's a lot of people. Well, first of all, I have this theory that like majority of people in the world are never introduced to the magical thing that is their true talent. Yeah. So like you imagine if the Williams sisters were never introduced to tennis, like we wouldn't have them. 
mm-hmm. you know, breaking barriers. And so many athletes are really good examples. But, you know, so you kind of stumbled upon running. And then in your very first race, you showed some promise. So maybe take us through that first race. Yeah. Well, I'm fortunate to have just an incredible mom and dad. And I'd come home from school and say, hey, I want to play baseball. And we'd go to the store and buy a baseball glove. And then the next, you know, of course, that would last about two weeks. And then the next day, I'm like, I really want to play golf. And so the next day, I'd have golf clubs. And so I think after trying 20 different sports, I come home and say, hey, I want to go out for the cross-country team. And they look at each other like, well, all we have to do is buy the kid a couple, you know, a pair of tennis shoes. That's not so bad. I think they were relieved at that point. <laughs> and I went out. I didn't love the training, but I was I was pretty good at, at racing. And that first race, you know, I asked my dad, who had run a little cross-country in high school, I go, well, dad, what do you do? And he goes, just go to the front and don't let anyone pass you. And I thought, well, I guess that sounds like a good enough idea. And that's what I did. You know, like I'm 13. I sprint to the front of this pack of 100 kids. And anyone who challenged me, I'd just try to pass them or try, try to hold onto their shoulder, not let them pass me. So it was basically a, a 5K fart lick for, um, for three plus miles. And uh, I ended up getting out kicked. But I remember, you know, 800 meters ago, having held off all of these different um, runners uh, this this little kid, he I can't remember, it was Jeremy Kramer, I believe it was, and he and I had a great high school rival, rivalry. He pulls up on my shoulder, and we kind of like look at each other and look at the finish line, and we're just all out sprinting for it. And I thought, there's no way I can run. My legs hurt so bad. And it was a shock to me that my legs went numb, right? Like you have this, this lactic numbness to your legs. I thought it would be a gripping pain like I was currently experiencing, only worse. And it was the exact opposite. It was like this numbness tunnel vision focused on the finish line and i ended up getting beaten but it was this introduction of i think as you put it my first glimpse at that innate talent that was inside my body mm-hmm. and it was kind of like this is scary i don't know if i want to do the work to really develop this nugget of talent but it's certainly in there and i recognize that now but you kind of resented the sport you were like why oh, yeah. does it have to be running this is yeah, so lame <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I did. I, I resented that my true talent wasn't in running, was in running and wasn't in ice hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is what I loved, what well, I really loved. But you bring something up, like you kept going, even though you didn't love it and embrace it. But at some point, something changed. Do you, do you think that a switch flipped or can people, because I'm kind of relating this to many things like relationships. People can be in marriages where all of a sudden they're like, I don't think I love my you know spouse anymore or want to be in this. And then can you just tell yourself, you know what? No, I do want to be in it. I do love my spouse. And it can, the power of thinking can change yes. that. It's all frame of mind. So it's not, it's, it's, I, it's too easy to say, I don't love running. And a good sports psychologist would say, well, that's a real blanket statement. Why don't you break it down for me? What parts don't you like? And now why don't you tell me about the parts that you do like? And I would have said, well, I love my team. I love the co-ed practices. I love my coach. I love being outside. I don't like interval training. And he's like, well, wow, it sounds like you love 90% of what you're doing each day. And there's only 10% that you have to put up with to enjoy that 90%. And I think you know, I'm no marriage counselor, but I've been in some serious relationships before. And I would say, you know, if you're in that, that moment where you say, I don't know if I love my, my marriage anymore, well, is it that you don't love your marriage or is there aspects of your marriage that you really cherish and aspects that you don't? Now, if the aspects that you don't are outweighing the aspects that you do, that's a pretty serious issue. But if 90% of that is things that you absolutely cherish, it sounds like you got it pretty good. So it's a matter of framing it in your mind and breaking it down into 
what do I love and what do I hate? Like I said, everything in life has aspects of beauty and aspects of, of crap. That is very true and awesome statement. So you mentioned your parents and the role they yeah. played in uh, helping develop you. I, I've read and, and understand that you, you have challenged authority and challenged the rules and, and structure around you since you were very young. So yeah. uh, <laughs> tell me about that. how, yeah, how does it, were you born that way? I, I imagine I was, but I think this is more of a, you know, a nature thing, not as much, or a nurture thing, not as much as a nature thing. This is probably something that's inherent to my personality, but certainly my mom and dad encouraged my sister and I to speak out if we ever saw something that bothered us. And I was, again, really lucky to be raised in a home where we had family dinners every single night of the week. And we sat down at the dinner table without TV, without cell, this was certainly before cell phones. And we just sat and talked. And Mom, how was your day? Dad, how was your day? You know, kids, what did you learn? Oh, this bothered you? Well, let's talk about why this bothered you. And so every single night, if something bothered us, we'd go through why it bothered us. And so I thought that's just what humans did. So then, you know, at school, if something bothers me, I'm like, um, excuse me, teacher, this is bothering me. And they're looking at me like, well, we don't say those things out loud. And I never understood <laughs> why. And then as I become a professional and I see, you know, governing bodies stealing money, I say, hey, excuse me, you're stealing money from me. And everyone thinks that this is outrageous that an athlete's speaking out like this. And I'm like, that's just the way it is. If I see something that seems inherently wrong, I'm going to speak up about it. Well, let's get into that. So you've, uh, you've been a real advocate for athletes' rights for a long time. And specifically regarding like the financial implications of not being able to represent sponsors for you know, big races and, and stuff like that. So, sh you know, it, there's a lot of drama and energy that goes into this. And there's also ethics and values. You know, what what drives you to continue to push these issues forward? I think there's a lot that drives me. You know, when I was an athlete, for selfish reasons, I wanted to see these rules change so I could actually make some money. I wanted to be able to represent my sponsors and uh, give them a return on investment. As I became a businessman, and understood where the dollars were flowing, it just seemed a qu more question of what was right and wrong. You've got this labor force, your Team USA, that's working their ass off to make a bunch of rich dudes and women at the IAAF and IOC and USOC and, and USATF, all the governing bodies. You're making them millions while they pay you pennies for your for your labor. I mean, it, it, it was just laughable. It's like, man, if I could create a scheme this good, <laughs> I would be a rich, rich man because it is the ultimate in indentured servitude oh absolutely so do you feel like you've made some headway absolutely you know it's it's one of these things where I, we're going up against governing bodies that have millions and millions of dollars that they've stolen from us and they hire great lawyers that uh that allow them to fight anything that comes away they they have indemnification they have uh protection from certain laws even it's it's so absurd I've, I've attacked this as an athlete. I've attacked it as a businessman. I've brought lawsuits against them. I've attacked it every single way. And, and it, it's just, it's very slow going. Um, and public sentiment, athletes united, that's that's maybe the strongest way. Corporate litigation, I think, is, is maybe the most permanent way to address these things. But again, that's very costly in time and, and takes a lot of time. It's true. And, you know, you are a man on many missions. 
And uh, if this is one of your missions, it, it does take time and energy away from your other active pursuits and from your business and other things you do, you know, relationships, family, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, it really does. Um, it almost broke me when I was running. I was trying to balance the fight with training. And there were many times where Coach Roland would have to say, you've got to scale back on the fight. He goes, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I, I admire you for speaking out, but I'm seeing it. Take, I'm seeing it take a lot of time and energy and it's affecting your ability to train and I need you to back off. So do you think you reached your running potential with all these other, you know, yeah. all the other energy expenditure that was out there? You know, if I had been the kind of person that could go into hiding and train for t- 10 months and then pop my head out and crush a couple of races, then go right back and start training. And there's a lot of pros that do that. They're not act on social. They don't interact with their fans. They're one-dimensional. There's nothing wrong with that. I, and in some ways, I really admire an athlete that can do that because I think I would have been an even better runner, but I wouldn't have had longevity. I would have burnt out on that, that mindset in about two years, and I would have retired in my mid-20s. So yes, I think I reached my potential, but I'm factoring in longevity. I'm factoring in the, mm. the fact that I was able to do it for 20 years. And, and like I said, I know a lot of really great runners that burn out really quickly because they don't have good balance in their life. Very true. So let's talk a little bit about addictions then, because I I'm, I think we're sure. we're touching on one. Anytime we talk to a high level athlete, you know, there's some boundary line where you can cross where you feel like, okay, if I don't have this in my life, if I don't get that thing I get from it, that buzz, then I'm gonna I'm gonna go down a dark path. So do you think you're addicted to running? I'm addicted to exercise, 100%. No doubt about it. I, I my favorite drug is running. That's the one that that hits me the hardest. Uh, like a like a heroin addict on methadone, I can wean myself off running with lifting and swimming and biking. But um, my drug of choice is is distance running. So, uh, like, will that limit you? So, let's just pretend you can't run. Something does happen to your body. So you'll be able to find that happiness and fulfillment in another way you think i think so when i got injured in 2016 i was about two weeks away from making my third olympic team and i fractured my ankle and you know old nick young nick would have i don't mean old nick i mean nick you know from from years past he would have gone into this spiral of darkness and despair uh nick post 2013 no, sorry, Nick post-2014, having learned those lessons, I just kind of laughed and said, oh, well, I guess I'll go work on run. And that that helped me a lot. And then, you know, missing the addiction, the endorphin rush of, of uh, training, I said, well, I can't run for about four to six weeks, so I need to set some new goals. And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to get back on my Cannondale and bike more. I'm going to try to bike a little bit farther every single Saturday. And every single Saturday, I'd bike a little bit farther. And so that first Saturday, I did a 20-miler, and it was hard. And I'm like, wow, that's a good bike. I wonder if I can do 25 or 30 next week. And I'd train Monday through Friday, and then Saturday, I'd try to set a personal best. And it was so funny. I, this meant nothing, right? I just missed out qualifying for an Olympic team. So you think that this uh, doofus out there riding his bike by himself, that he would be so depressed. I, I was ecstatic. I'm like finishing a 30-mile ride. I'm going and getting a sandwich. I'm just like on cloud nine. I'm like, I just did something that I've never done before. I biked for 30 miles and then I did a 40 miler and a 50 miler. And every time I set a new personal best, 
it was this feeling of absolute euphoria. I was so happy. And so I know that running is my favorite way to exercise, but the day that my knees blow out and I can't run anymore, I'll, I'll be able to find a substitute. It just, again, it's about goal setting and doing Mm -hmm. things that you haven't done before. It's, uh, it's, this is kind of cool. My, uh, my last interview was with an incredible woman named Kat Bradley. Uh, do you follow ultra running? Yeah, I do. I think Mm -hmm. it's a really neat community. It is. And so she just won the Western States, 25 years old. She's a rock star. Wow. Such and, a great race, too. I know. And she, I told her I was going to interview you, and she said, oh, I, I really liked Nick when I was in high school. <laughs> she goes, you tell him, because I told her, you know, Nick's uh, interested in doing some of the highest points in every state, right? So that's yeah, another one of the... Yeah, one of the projects you do. And she said, well, tell him I'll take him on the highest point in Colorado because she has the record. Yeah. Oh, the FKT. Course. Yeah. Um, so, would, tell us a little honored. bit. I'd actually, I think it's Albert, I believe. Is it Colorado. is. I could be wrong on that one, but it's a 14,000 foot peak. It is. 14,000 plus. Definitely one I want to do um, maybe this fall. Yeah. So tell what's this high point uh, challenge? Oh, you know, I, I've been a mountaineer since I was a kid. And now that I'm not focused on track and field, I've been dabbling a lot more in it. And I have my, I guess, my grand aspiration would be to climb the tallest mountain on every continent. And if I'm going to climb Denali, which is the tallest mountain in North America, I thought, well, it'd be kind of cool to climb all of the state high points. And so it's a it's a little hobby of mine. I wouldn't even call it like a proper athletic goal, although I guess it is. It's a hobby of mine to just collect state high points. And I've been on a tear lately. I've got some of the more the tougher ones like Nevada, Oregon. I'm climbing Mount Rainier, which is the Washington state high point next month. And, you know, getting some of those harder ones out of the way early. So I'm getting this feeling, too, again, back to extremes. <laughs> it's not like, I'm going to go hike in every state. I'm going to climb the highest point every state. Yeah. Do you see walls ahead of you? Or do you, you know, how do you approach barriers? I mean, I, I would say I purposely put walls in front of me because it's getting around or over the walls. That is the fun part for me. So, you know, climb, setting the same thing, I want to climb the tallest mountain in every state that's just saying i'm literally putting a bunch of giant mountains in my way because going over these mountains getting up and down these mountains it makes me so happy uh so i think that 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 is something i do on purpose you know but you, you want to talk about obstacles that are thrown my way that i can't purposely you know purposely create for myself and in entrepreneurial business we deal with this every single day every single day i come into the office and there's some problem i have to deal with and some of them are easy some of them are just like you know so-and-so isn't getting along with, with their office mate, and I can deal with that pretty quickly. You know, another one is, uh, you know, maybe a, a run-gun batch came in and quality control wasn't up to my standards, and I have to figure out, you know, what we're going to do with it. Or, um, you know, there's just so many things that aren't in my control, and I have to deal with those issues every single day. Lost shipments. I mean, we'll talk about what a nightmare lost shipments are. I can't control what happens to the gum once I hand it off to USPS, and I still have to be responsible for that gum. So, you know, it's constantly dealing with obstacles like that. And I just try to, one, take it deep, take a deep breath first and try to try to know know that I can figure a way out of it. And if I by myself can't figure a way out of it, know that I've got an incredible team around me that can help me, whether it's my COO, Nathan Woods, who's a brilliant man, my business partner, Sam, or our, our board of advisors, we can figure a way out of anything. 
I think the really good points right there. Boom. Take a deep breath. That's the first thing that a yeah, lot of people are missing. Always, always take a deep breath. You got to just stop and just realize that it's an it's an issue that needs to be solved. But this isn't an apocalyptic scenario. Like you can you can get through this. Tell us a little more about Run Gum. Why did you well, start it, and why does every runner need it? So. I had this idea. I actually studied biochemistry in college, and I was—I wouldn't say addicted to energy drinks, but I sure did love them. You know, as I was training to be the best athlete in the world, I was drinking them all, and I just love caffeine as a, as a functional drug. I think it's a really powerful drug. I think if it's used right, it can be used in a really functional way. And so I'm drinking these energy drinks, and then going for a run or racing, and I'm like, man, I feel so good, like from an energy and focus standpoint. But my stomach is in knots, right? I'm drinking an 8.4 ounce or 12 ounce can of liquid, carbonated sugary liquid, and then running. And I'm like, I sure love the stimulants, but all this junk in my stomach is destroying it. I'm throwing up half the time, right? Because it's so bad for my stomach. And so utilizing that degree in biochemistry, I thought, man, why don't we just use sublingual absorption to get these stimulants into the body? The way that Nicorette uses gum to deliver nicotine to the body you know, that's a very, very smart way to do it. I thought if I could dehydrate my favorite energy drink and put the caffeine, the taurine, the B vitamins into a piece of chewing gum, well, that would be much more efficient. And I had this idea and I just sat on it for a couple of years. And then it wasn't like I said until 2014 where I had the time and energy. And Coach Sam said, hey, that caffeinated gum idea, it's time. And we spent the entire summer finding a manufacturer, perfecting the recipe figuring out taste profiles, packaging, branding, website development, social handles, URLs, you name I mean, the, everything that goes into bringing a product to market. Six months worth of work. And on October 14th, 2014, I put a tweet out and an Instagram post saying, run gum now for sale. And we did, uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to get into the numbers, but we did a significant amount of sales just in those first couple of weeks. It was, it, it was so scary. To, to launch and bring a product to market, but then to see people say, wow, this is cool, I need this, it was one of, the, one of the highlights of my life, one of the proudest moments of my life for sure. And boom, you're in business and now you are a true businessman. <laughs> yeah, I mean really, I, it's, you, as an entrepreneur, the coolest thing is you have this idea and the, the only way of knowing whether it's a good idea or not is just to let the market tell you. And I still believe that an idea is only about 10, maybe 20% of a business and 80 to 90 is an execution. But we had a good idea and we had great execution. And here we are almost three years later and we're in over 500 stores. We're sold online nearly everywhere. And uh, we just went through a huge hiring expansion phase. We up to 10 employees. It's just uh, it's just exciting times in the in the world of run gum. It really is. So when you're looking for your next round of investors, you better start reaching out here. You better believe we're it. in. Yeah. <laughs> we're still we're still self funded. I'm really proud to say that uh, we are self funded, which is is also something that's difficult to do as an entrepreneur. Um, and there will come a time where I'm sure we're going to have to raise money. But uh, to have this this we're, we're family owned and operated, right? It's me and Coach Sam, and his daughter works for us, and. Uh, Nathan's been with us from day one, and, and we've just started to hire all of our of our of the different uh, pieces that we need: the director of sales, the videographer, the social media coordinator, and we are building this beautiful machine that almost you know could survive. It could survive without me. I always said, is 
run gum will be successful the day that if I slip off the side of a mountain, it will live on without me. And I feel like we're just about there. You know what I love about the company and the product? First of all, I love that you solved a problem. I mean, yeah, anyone can slug down those energy drinks and yeah, they give you some benefits, but the problems that come with them can be devastating. A lot of sugar, a lot of calories, a lot of heavy acidic liquid sloshing around your stomach. It just never seemed like the thing that active people would really want to use while they're being active. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet that's how they're marketed. It seems so silly to me. I know it's true. And, um, and I did, you know, I do understand the, the biology or chemistry behind, you know, the activating your salivary glands. And, you know, there's something almost like it's methodical, it's meditative about sort of like chewing while you're running. <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because we always say we have three functional ingredients, right? Caffeine, taurine, and B vitamins. Recently, I found out we actually have four. The fourth ingredient is the chewing gum itself. And cognitive studies have shown that the act of chewing makes you more alert. And around America, teachers will pass out gum to their students before they do standardized tests because the act of chewing has been shown to have um, I think as I read, it was 5% increase in standardized testing scores. So now I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I've got caffeine, which has been shown to improve short-term memory, and I've got the act of chewing. Do I have the greatest study aid ever created? I think I do. And now we tell that narrative to students all the time, and they these are students that you know are going and buying black market Adderall and saying, I don't need to do that anymore. Run gum gives me the focus and energy I need to pull an all-nighter to get my to, to crush my test. And it makes me feel so happy when we're we're able to give a kid, you know, a zero calorie sugar free product to replace their energy drink or replace um, a medication that they no longer need. I mean, that's well, that's what we're in it for. And that maybe they never really needed it, you know. Exactly, so yeah. hey, you're helping get people off drugs before they even start them. I would be careful um. with that. I think, <laughs> I, and I, I'm always careful to say that run gum is a drug because we have caffeine, and, and anyone who says that caffeine is not a drug is is mistaken. And uh, so it's it's replacing one drug for another. But I believe that caffeine is one of those drugs, like I said, that can be used in a really positive functional way. I, I limit my caffeine intake to make sure that it, it has its effect because you can develop tolerance for caffeine real quickly. And I limit my intake to 200 milligrams a day. And I think that that has been a perfect dose for me. Wow, that's pretty low. That's impressive. You know, and I do recognize that, of course, you know, caffeine is on the banned list at a certain level. So Only an NCAA competition, as far as I know. It was actually in triathlon as well, at least when we oh, were really? being drug tested back in yeah. the day. But you would literally have to take just these massive yeah. doses of no-dose or whatever was think, out there I think at the it time. ends up being like 25 packets of run gum. So your oh, jaw I'm would sure. get tired before you got yeah. through all that. <laughs> Squeeze it out of there. Um, yeah. But, you know, so I encourage, I, you know what we got to do? We need to do a giveaway. We're yeah, going to have to do a giveaway. So I'm going to talk we to your giveaways. I'm going to talk to your folks and we'll do a giveaway when we launch the uh, the the podcast episode here. So everybody keep your eyes open. Um couple more big questions here and then we'll we'll let you go on your way today and keep doing great things in the world. So on this note of talking about a business, what do you think holds people back from pursuing their goals and dreams and passions and does anything ever hold you back? It's easy. It's the most Aside from cancer, it's the most cancerous thing in the human body, and it's self-doubt. And I just think it's the worst thing that can afflict a runner or any athlete or a 
husband or a father, wife, business person, self-doubt is the most crippling feeling. And I've felt it before. Absolutely, I felt it before. And I hate the feeling of self-doubt. Caffeine helps me get over it. Uh, my business partner, Sam, helps me get through it. Running has helped me get through it. Uh, but the more you can minimize self-doubt, the more you can dream big and actually go after those goals. You know, you that's a really great point. And you just brought up three important things. Community, so mm-hmm. not being afraid. Don't go inside, go outside. Exercise, the chemical reaction that your body has, body and mind, when you get out there and exercise. And stimulant, caffeine. Yeah. Help yourself. I mean, and it's, it's not like I'm rewriting the book here. I just there's, there, Those are three proven ways to help eliminate self-doubt. So give it a try for yourself. And I want to I really just double down on the exercise part because I think that it really does rewire your mind in some way. You know, there'll be mornings where I'm just like, I don't know that I can handle all this. And I just go for an easy four-mile or five-mile run. And it just gives me this rush of adrenaline and endorphins and my mind's thinking crisper and clearer. Some days when I don't work out, I kind of feel like my mind's a little bit foggy. And it's it's funny. I don't know what it is that, that running or and, and, uh, endurance athletics does to the mind, but it sure does seem to straighten out your thinking. We're going to have to do another episode on that. We'll have to do a video yeah. together. Um, That'd be fun. So what's your definition of success? Uh, I just think finding what makes you happy is the definition of success if that means that you need to be a billionaire to be happy and you really believe that and you you understand what makes you tick then by all means go pursue that if you say i could live out a cardboard box and be totally content and you know that that's true about yourself then good on you you know for me i don't need to be rich i don't need a lot of material possessions i need my family to be healthy i need exercise and I need a sense of purpose. I I need every single day to wake up and be mentally and physically stimulated. If I have those things, I'm happy as a clam. Great answer. So with all of this stuff going on and these big changes, you're in a time of transition. Uh, Can you live in the moment or do you feel like you're always a step ahead? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say that one of my biggest flaws is failure to live in the moment. Um, I'm always, always looking forward to the next thing. Um, and it's helped me in a lot of ways. You know, that moment at USA is when I was running my last race. I'll be honest, I didn't enjoy that moment as much as I should have. I should have really just taken a deep breath and said, gosh, how cool is it that I was able to run for 20 years? And I'm doing it. I'm doing it retroactively now. But in the moment, I'm thinking, I got to get to the media zone and start telling people about Honolulu. <laughs> you know, I'm like, so... <laughs> We're done with this. This is over. Let's time. It's time to start focusing on the next thing. I'm. I'm always trying to be two or three steps ahead. That I'm never just sitting back and saying, "Wow, how cool is it where I am right now?" It's something that I think I need to work on. If it's it's one of my biggest flaws. If I if I could work on just being in the moment a little bit more, I'd be even more content and and happier. And people around me perhaps would be a little more content and happier. But I again, that's just kind of not how I'm wired. I'm wired to to think what's next, what's next. I, I get it. I do. And I've been there. And I'll tell you, what's going to snap you out of that immediately is the moment Children. you have that first kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. I believe it. Oh, I believe it. I mean, you can be nowhere but exactly in the moment because as a business person, you're responsible for other people's livelihood in some sense. But when you have a kid, you are responsible for keeping that child alive. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> sounds scary the way you put it. <laughs> You know what? It is damn freaking scary. So <laughs> you'll be you'll be amazing. Um, 
so if you could coach the young Nick and give the young Nick who was running his first cross country race a piece of advice that you know may or may not have changed your future, what would you tell him? I think I'd just let him know that he can keep fighting running and be pissed off and angry and upset, or he can just embrace it. I, I would give him kind of the same speech I just gave you know, 20, 30 minutes ago saying, everything you do in life is going to have beautiful things about it and, and negative things about it, and you can focus on the negatives or you can focus on the positives. And I'd say every single day, show up to practice, you know, run with your buddies, enjoy that, give your coach a big hug, and then just savor that moment rather than be grudge, be, be, uh, be upset that you're not out on the ice rink. You know, I think I would have been happier in high school that way. Yep. Easy to say looking back, but really important to hear now. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could thank your parents right now, what would you say? Thank them. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just thank them for allowing me to pursue so many different passions. Like I said, um, I really believe that everybody is good at something. And it's just a matter of fun. I am the worst basketball player that has ever existed. I have no coordination. I, it would take me, even if from the free throw line, I probably couldn't make more than one in 10 shots. I, I was horrible, but I, I stuck with basketball. I played basketball for a couple of years, you know, and then I switched to another sport. And my parents never forced me into a sport. The minute I wanted to bail, they were cool with it. The minute I wanted to start another sport, they were cool with it. I think my mom and dad said to themselves and i don't know if they did this but they the way they acted certainly said it to me he's going to be good at something we just got to try a hundred different somethings to find out what that is you know and if they hadn't encouraged me to try so many things i never would have found running and i would have missed out on what i was made to do well i i uh thank them and everybody listening thanks them too because uh you've really done some incredible things you know, we're on to our final question that I ask every person who comes on the show. Are you ready? Hit me. All right. So if you could give our listeners one final nugget, one piece of advice that will help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Goal setting. Hands down. No, very few people understand goal setting and the way to do it right. And I think if, if they went back and listened to this beginning episode, short term, intermediate, long-term goals they all work towards each other but the long-term goal get out a pen and paper write down that goal it has to be based in real time it has to have a deadline and tack that somewhere where you see it every single day just doing that which only about 10 percent of goal setters do just doing that increases your odds of achieving that goal tenfold it's so freaking important to have tangible goals and accountability and to outline it that way it's just and i wish i could i wish i could tell 330 million americans this that you have to do it that way or it's not going your your chances of of achieving success are greatly reduced or you could put out a press release and and announce to the world (laughs) that you're doing it's it's funny actually we have a lot of online resources at run gum at run gum our mission is twofold to fuel and inspire people to make the most of their busy days and Yes, we fuel them with our caffeinated chewing gum. We also want to inspire them. And we have a goal-setting worksheet that you can download for free at rungum.com. And it does just that. It walks you down the path of creating these these goals that work towards each other. And it, it even has that space where you write it down and you say, I'm going to do X on this date, and these are the people keeping me accountable. 
Awesome. Awesome advice. Um, all right, everybody. It's a wrap. We are going to go out there and get some run gum. If you haven't tried it yet, you're going to sign up for this giveaway that we're going to do. And I think everybody should go out and buy your book. How fun was writing that uh, book, yeah, by the way? It was, it, was, it was fun and it was cathartic. There was a lot of thing I, things I wanted to get off my chest. So um, outside the Oval Office, you can buy it on Amazon. You can actually order run gum on Amazon while you're there. So Thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for the great questions. This was one of the most fun and most um, most interesting interviews that I've done. I really like talking psychology and, and just you know thinking about what makes humans humans. Absolutely. You know what? We'll have to get another one on the books after Honolulu. <laughs> for sure. All right. Go get them. Aloha. Thanks. All right, everyone. What a great episode. How cool is Nick? So if you didn't know him before, you definitely know him now. I just really appreciate how willing he was he was to be vulnerable, to be open, to be totally honest about things that are often very tough to talk about. Um, you know, obviously this is a pretty long episode. <laughs> I'm not going to keep you too long here at the end. I uh I think my my best takeaway is just his complete and utter dedication to living a goal-driven life. Um, and I really do agree with the fact that if you take pen to paper and you write down your goal and you put a deadline, it does increase your odds of hitting that goal many-fold. So make sure that you think about it. And to give you an extra little rabbit here, we are going to do a little giveaway of run gum. So here's, here's the ask. I'll do a Facebook post. Go over to Nicole's Facebook page, my fan page, Nicole Molzonda Boom, and uh, probably on Skirt Sports too. I'm sure we'll post it there. The post will ask you to list your goal. That's all it is. We're going to Put your goal down, pen and paper, our version of today's pen and paper. We're going to put your goal down on that Facebook post. Um, Nick will be able to choose the winner. How cool is that? Let's give you a month to, to get this to get this done. I know you don't listen to the podcast episode. Not all of you at least listen the exact day that it comes out. So here's the deal. Go over to my Facebook page. Look for the post on Nick Simmons and uh, write your goal down, baby. Tell us what you're going after. All right, everybody. On that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and we'll see you next week.